This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And Eric Shaw Quinn, did you know that we have a special guest today for only the second time in the history of this podcast? It's a pretty big deal. Would you like me to tell you how big a deal it is? Yes, I think you should tell everyone how big a deal it is because that's how we'll, you know, get people to listen to the show and stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Marketing 101. Okay, so if you right? are if you are a party person, you are familiar with the fact that we have devoted several episodes to discussions of an unsolved homicide here in Los Angeles. That's the murder of Billy Newton, who was known in the gay adult video industry as Billy London. Episodes 37, 48, 60, and 63 contain our current discussions about the case. In response to one of those episodes, in which we received an email through our tip email address, William Newton Investigation at gmail.com, which is still open for your tips, recollections, or anything you think might be helpful. Um, we received an account from a gentleman named Ron Wheeler who said he believed himself to be among some of the last people to see Billy alive when he was leaving Rage Nightclub the Sunday evening before his remains were found. Some of his remains, we should say, were found in a Hollywood dumpster. And Ron said he believed he saw Billy leave the club in the presence of a man who, if he was not the serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer, was a startling lookalike, bore quite a resemblance to him. In response to that podcast, we were contacted by email by a doctor, a documentarian, excuse me, named Rachel Mason. And if you've heard Rachel Mason's name before, it's because she is responsible for a uh, documentary that debuted on Netflix last year. Hugely called, successful documentary. Hugely successful called Circus of Books. If you are from the L.A. area, you are probably familiar with the name Circus of Books. It was a landmark gay porn store here in West Hollywood, and they had a location in Silver Lake over on the east side of Los Angeles. And her family, her conventional Jewish family, ran this gay porn store. And the documentary dives into that. But I think, and she's going to talk about this with us today, as a result of working on that documentary, of looking back over the history of gay porn, uh, she came across the Billy London, Billy the Newton same case tri- as well. Right, the same thing we came across and was intrigued by it. Yeah, so we have been we have been talking back and forth with her for a while now, and we've been trying to schedule this and put this together, and the stars finally aligned. And, uh, and I think we should us. say she is considering making another documentary focusing on the Billy case, and so we want to find out where right. she is with that and what she's found out and what her investigation has revealed. Absolutely. Eric, were you a visitor to Circus of Books? Oh, my God. I was a regular at Circus (laughs) of Books. Why was that? Why were you a regular? Absolutely. 
I was absolutely, you know, you get it every paycheck. I'd go in for another couple of uh, porn tapes to uh, <laughs> uh, make the evenings a little more interesting and during the work week and uh, reading books and magazines. And they they actually, it was a bookstore too. They actually sold copies of uh, Say mm-hmm. Uncle there in the bookstore when my book came out. And But yeah, Circus of Books was a neighborhood institution. So I was very much familiar with it. In fact, I wonder if... I ran across the little girl, Rachel Mason, mm-hmm. um, running around the high school age girl running around her parents' bookstore back mm-hmm. in the olden times when I was uh, still going in there. Anyway, lots to find out from Rachel about her family history, about a, a local landmark, um, Circus of Books, and this this case about Billy Newton that so fascinates us. And, you know, I keep hoping we're going to push across the help to get across the finish line. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, Rachel Mason joins us in a moment. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And we are welcoming only our second interview guest ever on this podcast. And she is the most patient guest ever. We had all sorts of technical difficulties setting up this interview, which none of our listeners will hear. Rachel Mason, welcome to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. Oh, my God. Hey, that's the most incredible buildup ever. (laughs) Well, Lord knows you've earned it. What a morning. This has been quite the day. Yes, without going, we're not going to bore everybody with the details. But <laughs> Rachel has waited on us to turn up for this interview all morning. It has been quite the day. Gremlins got in the studio and uh, yes, we've had to indeed. overcome them. Brandon has got them under glass now, and uh, it's just going to be right. the three of us for a bit. Absolutely. The joys of remote recording during a pandemic, which we are hopefully emerging from now at the time of this right. recording, but very gradually. <laughs> Rachel, we, we want to, I think everybody knows kind of what brought you to us today, but we want to start by talking about what I think a lot of people, a lot of our party people might know about, which is your documentary, Circus of Books, which is on Netflix which is um, truly remarkable, truly groundbreaking. And a couple months after its release, it had a 98% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is friggin' unheard of go, on babe. Rotten Tomatoes. I don't think the Avengers did as well as that. Like, wow. Right? Yeah. Family story got 98%. Woo! Right. And it and is one of the yeah. most amazing family portraits I've ever seen. It is quite right. the, Rachel's family actually owned this landmark, this local landmark bookstore in here in West Hollywood called mm-hmm. Circus of Books. Rachel, did you guys live in West Hollywood? 
Yeah, we, I mean, I lived right near Sunset Boulevard and, you know, pretty much in walking distance to the West Hollywood store. Yeah, totally. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, so that in the neighborhood. Totally. Yeah. It was, I mean, a huge part of my, I mean, again, this is how, why I made the movie. It was this giant, enormous part of my childhood that I didn't fully ever understand on any level, but I, I loved and, you know, Growing up, I, I didn't talk a little bit about the bookstore, why it is you didn't know much about it. Well, so, I mean, for anyone, if there's a single person out there listening that has absolutely no idea about Circus of Books, it's sort of the <laughs> most <laughs> of your fans. It, um, you know, it might be uh, probably the most legendary, at least in Los Angeles, gay porn store and, and specifically gay male oriented business where like tons and tons and tons of crazy amazing wild stuff was happening it was my porn go-to place when i first moved here it was <laughs> they had everything including my book they also had say <laughs> uncle there which i was honored but yeah that that was not the main attraction at circus of books jeff Stryker was bigger than me <laughs> in a lot of ways well, yeah, the, the literary, although, you know, I will say, and I'm pretty sure they had your books too, Chris. So, you know. I think they did. I did. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people might buy a book or two as they slip, you know, the DVDs and magazines into the giant uh, black bag or, or uh, brown paper bag, as it were, at the time. But, yeah, it was a really, you know, happening gay porn store. But before, I mean, actually, I will say it was a porn store. They did have a, a little tiny bit of straight stuff, too. And. Mm-hmm. Not just gay stuff, but um, relegated to the side. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. a very gay place. Um, <laughs> they had to dust it. It was the only part of the store they had to dust. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, and I grew up just um, thinking, I mean, this is like maybe I was a, a fag hag in training, but I was just so in love with the store and I loved all the guys and I was like obsessed. I was running in and of course I'm just like not knowing anything, but these, the guys that worked where worked at the counter were like Alaska who, you know, maybe never got to become Alaska. And actually most mm-hmm. of them didn't. They were all these amazing, funny, hilarious, gorgeous guys. And I just loved them. I loved the whole store. And I was like friends with the managers and the employees. I mean, I just loved the store. So I was the one in my family who was like, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I was, will say the film details, the, um, the story of my family and, you know, people are always like, you know, who haven't seen the film, film, like, well, how does it, how does a family fit into a store about gay porn? But, you know, from my perspective, I had to unravel like the, the weird family dynamics in order to get, you know, to crack the the surface of this giant thing. And, you know, for so you actually found out about it from a classmate in high school, right? Yeah. Because, you know, I, I don't get too deep into this in the film, but I, am queer. I have a, I mean, I was instantly in like the found my gay friends in high school and like those were my, my people. And they were all like making trips to um, the city because I went to high school in the Valley. I went to Cleveland high school. And so oh. for Valley kids, you know, it's like New Jersey to LA, you know, it's like we're yeah. going to the city. And so I remember they were just, you know, we'd make these trips to like the gay spots. And, and my friends were like making trips to circus, you know, my parents' store. And I was like, that's my parents' store. And they were like, what? I can't <laughs> <laughs> like, we've been your parents. How did they, 
that's not possible, you know? And so there was, yeah. and then I would be like, well, wait, what, you know, it was this weird thing where I, I, you know, I knew there was an over 18 section, but I honestly thought maybe every store had an over 18 section. <laughs> it was this thing that I- <laughs> They probably should. <laughs> right? Like the Duttons in Century City or what was it? The old bookstore in Century City. Did they have an over 18 section? <laughs> I was like, it's just a, it's just a bookstore. And then, no, oh, I yeah. heard it is not just a bookstore, Rachel. Do you no. Know? <laughs> so, so then I was like, wow, okay, but hold on. You know, my friends had actually cool parents, and I did not. I had the lame parents who my mom was so religious. Mm-hmm. She was like actually a religious tyrant. Like I had to do Hebrew school and Sunday school, and I hated it. And, and I had friends whose parents were actors and writers, you know, like cool Hollywood parents, like dancers. Mm-hmm. Not my parents. So meanwhile, they were the ones. Shut who up like, and drink your beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. So that's what made it a really um, a, a fun thing to unpack. And then, you know, I will say there's a spoiler in my film. Josh, my little brother, who's, you know, to, to this day, pretty much my best, best, best friend ever. And, um, you know, I didn't understand. He's gay in real life. He's uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> documentary world. You have to sort of announce what's. But I was one <laughs> right. who was like, not just on TV. He's actually gay. Yeah, he, <laughs> I told him to be gay in the movie, but no, he's yeah. gay. Yeah. <laughs> he is gay. I thought it would play better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was like, no, but but I didn't realize and didn't understand that to be a gay kid growing up in the '90s, a gay man, a gay boy, you know, um, was radically different from mm-hmm. being a queer bisexual gay girl with whose parents owned a you know gay porn store and it could be amazing and all my friends like you know worship john waters and i was like in the super gay world you know let's like wave our freak flag and go to the marches and like do everything crazy and josh my little brother was like trying to you know not be gay actually and trying to be suppressed and and it was still the 90s it was still a really rough time and so his coming out story was really my favorite part of the whole that was beautiful that moment when he was talking to you about his journey and you started crying because you had never realized what he had been mm-hmm. through. I mean, you are both adults at the time of that filming and, and it moved you to tears because you had never paused to consider what he was mm-hmm. living with while you guys were being kids together. Exactly. No. And Josh, I mean, I love him so much. I mean, I just couldn't even wrap my head. I'm like, wait a minute. I can't understand a world in which you were suffering that bad. And I was just a total asshole. I mean, at the time I look back, okay, <laughs> to be fair, I was 16, 17 and doing my own wild thing and just having fun. But I'm like, I remember one of my friends in high school being like, Rachel, I think your brother's gay. And in my head, I was like, what? Come on. You know, and it was like, let's move on. He's just, he's just annoying. My little brother, you know, I, I didn't make space for the Josh who would become my, my friend in later life. You know, when you're a kid, you're just, you've got like a little annoying brother. And so I suddenly had this realization when he, you know, had to come out in this very dramatic way for him because he had struggled for so many years I was so sort of shocked at that moment when he, in the film, you know, really like revealed that. And it was truly actually on camera that he revealed this thing that just blew my mm. mind. And so, so I, I felt extremely guilty and I was crying and I'm, you know, thinking to myself, okay, this is what I set myself up to do with the reverse angle on the, on the camera. And I'm like looking at the edit, my editor's like, we're going to leave that in, you, you know, the shot of you crying is really good. And I'm like, Oh, I can't believe I can. Yeah, no, I really, I'm glad you made that choice. That meant a lot to me 
That was really mm-hmm. touching. That really moved me. Well, thank you so much um, for saying that, Eric, because I've heard it now from other people, you know, like, wow. And and people even saying really amazing things like I never got to have that conversation with right. my sister. Or, you know, my sister actually never did uh, uh, acknowledge this or my parents, my mom never came around. And, you know, I have to say that the biggest part of this film was, you know, the the coming out story and also my mom's sort of coming out story because it forced my mom to recognize that she had been living this giant secret herself. And that's that was the thing that for me was, um, you know, the hard truth of the whole thing, because I've I've always in love with the store and proud of it. And, you know, it's the store was kind of like my space in a strange way. Like I love the managers. I would just go there and hang out and be friends with all the <laughs> cool people there. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I have copies of drummer magazine right here. Like I'm kind of a gay porn fanatic. I love it. I actually love it. <laughs> I love the world. Um, and my mom's always been so like, you know, ashamed of it. It was like her world. It was like the work she had to do, you know, it was like, but the thing that was interesting was at the same time she had absolutely no issue with gay people she worked with gay people she lived around gay people right. she had absolutely no issues with gay people and she had this whole mindset that she completely had to readdress when she found out that her own son was in fact gay it, it totally it, it was this in, huge paradigm shift for her exactly. as she had to deal with that realization No, and Mm -hmm. it's so funny because my mom has become like the ultimate, you know, hardcore Jewish mother to a gay kid now. Like, okay, if you're going to be, if you're going to be gay, you have to find a flag queen (laughs) marching in the gay pride parade. I can't even imagine my parents being in a parade, let alone a gay pride parade. And, you know, like, that's amazing. No, and you know when I detailed in the film that they joined P Flag, parents and friends of LGBT kids. That's the organization. Um, so you know, I, I I detailed that they joined P Flag and they marched in the parade. But they literally every Wednesday do not do a thing except P Flag. They're they are they are a, wow. Yeah, to this day, it's a Wednesday. I cannot even call them. My mom's like, you know, we have a P Flag meeting. Everyone's on Zoom. Why are you calling me? You know, and <laughs> <laughs> they take it so seriously, and it's good. Bad. <laughs> Okay, I want to jump in and I want to give some credit to your dad because his smile is an antidepressant. I, I, oh I rewatched God. part of the doc. I'd seen it a while. I rewatched some this morning. I was like, what a I could just heart. watch this mellow man smile at me forever. It was just so soothing. Um, so off that note, okay, we're going to get a little bit darker here because what the happened was – the other link is that in the course of, of, I believe, researching this documentary, you learned about an unsolved murder case that we have been talking about a lot here on the podcast. If, uh, if you're listening and you want to know more about what we're about to talk about, check out episodes 37, 48, 60, and 63. We're racking up discussions of the unsolved murder of Billy Newton. So talk to us about how you first heard about it and then how you got in touch with us and why. And the connection, the unique connection to your parents yeah. and the store. Well, it's, I have to tell you, it's so bizarre. Like I just got a, ch- a true genuine chill slash like goosebumps right when you were talking about it, Chris, because I mean, the fact that I'm even here with you guys is, is freaking me out still a little bit because I 
was working on Circus of Books, um, just doing the research with a, a, a gay porn reviewer named Mickey Ski, who's like notorious mm-hmm. in the industry. Mickey Ski oh, yeah. reviewed everything, you know, pretty much literally everything. He could tear it to shreds. Like he was writing, you know, mm-hmm. you know, true New Yorker book reviews. You know, he was writing about gay yes. porn like that. So, I knew, I knew <laughs> as this guy that I had to approach because in the film, I really wanted to give, I mean, I, you know, I care about accuracy a lot and I didn't want to, a lot of films that are documentaries will throw a flash sequence together that might not be representative of like the real exact piece puzzle pieces in the film. It's sort of, you know, a lot of smoke and mirrors. And I really wanted to make sure in the AIDS section of Circus of Books that the people that I featured in the AIDS section were actual gay porn stars who died of AIDS at the moment mm-hmm. when I was really trying to capture that era. Because for me, this was, you know, and this is what, again, brings us to the Billy Newton story. I, I mean, I, there's, there's just in my heart, like a giant hole where these guys who I grew up loving and, and not realizing what they were doing, you know, and then them dying so young, so mm-hmm. tragically, just they lived. And I want to make sure, you know, if I got the pictures they would come from the source. And I knew Mickey Ski would be the guy that had all the information. And he said, here, Rachel, mm-hmm. here's a big pile of photos. So he gave me these photos. And then as I'm looking through, I'm looking at his articles. I was just like reading all of his research. And there was this one story he told me about in, in our conversation. He said, you know, when you think about that era and the, the guys that I knew, this is Mickey talking, there's one guy in particular that actually died in a, a really different way of really tragic, you know, so many died of AIDS, but, but I covered a crime that's to this day never been solved. And it's this guy named in the porn world is named Billy London. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I read his article and I, it was the, the article about the head, you know, the original article that basically was the first to, tell the story to the entire world. Mickey Ski mm-hmm. had written it, I believe it was in The Advocate. And I, I could not even suddenly like shift gears. I was like, Just oh my God, horrific. so crazy. And I remember I immediately mm-hmm. called one of the store owner managers who had been working there in 1989. He was there all through the ages. I said, did you ever hear about this guy who was dismembered? And he was like, oh yeah, you know, that story. It was really crazy. But every he had gotten like a puzzle piece wrong. He was like, yeah, they found his hands and they found his head. And I was like, no, no, they found his head and feet. And she's like, okay. And I, I sort of was doing my own little anecdotal research ever since Mickey had introduced his story to me. And I, it, I couldn't let it go. And I remember just, it just, it just sort of haunted me because, you know, there were so many guys that died of AIDS. My heart broke for all of them and for their parents and for their family and just for their friends. But the guy who was killed in this way, like that was a, a really strange new story. So anyway, I, I had kind of put it into a little bit of a, you know, you you do this when you're a documentary or filmmaker, like, okay, that's a really interesting story. I'll come back to it at some point. I don't know when, but mm-hmm. I completed the film and then was just sort of, you know, doing the film festival circuit. And it just kept bringing me back. I don't even know how to you know that thing where like something gnaws at you and you just keep going back to it that's how we ended up with our own that's yeah it. that's we exactly totally what happened to us yeah i honestly think i mean this is me saying something that might sound fucking weird but like you and i were truly thinking about billy at the same time because when i i basically was thinking about you know circus of books was not supposed to be a successful movie it was supposed to be a movie that 
at the most, I hope to get into like Outfest and maybe some other, you know, queer film festivals and move on. And then suddenly it's like a, a massive hit. It's on Netflix. And I'm doing, you know, constant interviews and it's a, you know, has Oscars buzz. Like that was mm-hmm. not supposed to happen. Circus of Books was the movie mm-hmm. that pretty much I didn't think anyone would care about, except maybe some of my friends, you know, and um, so here I was sort of like swimming in this world where I was like, wow, that people are kind of interested in this era that I'm obsessed with. And, that you know, my, my right. world. Um, so, <laughs> so, so then I have these producers in the UK who um, were like, well, what else do you have, Rachel, that you might want to do a film about? And I was just like, well, gosh, you know, the one that I'm really, I can't let go of is the Billy Newton story, AKA Billy mm-hmm. London. And I just started putting these pieces together and, and, and they were at some point while I was feeding information, creating a pitch deck and all the things that you do to get your story together. They were like, have you heard this podcast by Chris Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn? And I'm like, I, I literally found your podcast. I listened to the whole thing. I'm like, Oh my God, what the hell? How are these guys already thinking about it? So in my head, I was like, you know, listening and obsessing and you had new information and new details. And I had actually been already contacting some of the people that you had mm-hmm. featured. But then when you got Ron Wheeler and I was mm-hmm. like, was that the second one? Yeah, I think that was, uh, actually, I think that was episode 48, which was our second one. And if people don't know, let me just jump in. We set up a tip email line William Newton investigation at gmail.com. And if you are a regular party person, yes. Um, If you are a regular party person, you have heard us tell the story a million times, but we received an email from a gentleman named Ron Wheeler who said that he was present at Rage Nightclub on the last night that Billy was seen alive, and we know Billy was last seen at Rage, and that he saw him leave in the presence of a man who, if he was not Jeffrey Dahmer, was, in Ron's own words, a startling lookalike for uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, the notorious serial killer. So off of that, we heard from you, Rachel. You sent us an all-caps email. I know, you sorry. Know. I was like, what the fuck? No, no, we love that. No, you know, we that's love how that. we the, feel about it. The biggest fear, like our agenda with this when we started was just getting people to talk about it. Our biggest fear, you know, I did a little digging and discovered that Billy's father, Richard Harriman, had passed away and he had really been the advocate who was carrying the torch, had an email address of his own, which was no longer functioning. And when I found out that he had died of natural causes in his home in Wisconsin, I thought Billy might be running out of advocates. We've got to recruit the next generation. So anybody who reached out, we were thrilled. And and so I I think yeah we were so excited to hear from you and the to know Ron that you Wheeler were announcement at this. was huge it was huge and it got a response from LAPD and from you oh my yeah. god well it was so insane to me because it was like I mean I really I even on the day that I heard I called Mickey I'm like like I can't I can't wrap my head around this even like this is so weird like I had just right before I heard the podcast I had really just decided that I was going to commit myself to this project. I was like, you know what? And I had the same feeling, Chris. I was like, you know what? Where was everybody at this moment? Mm-hmm. And what the what the hell? You know, I got so outraged. It was like I had that feeling that that nobody had taken up this 
story. And, and it was just one of those things that was going to live and die in the like gay porn legends. And, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the, in the world of gay porn that becomes sort of like, Oh yeah, well, you know, we were always treated like shit anyway, who cares? And I, mm-hmm. you know, I guess I started to recognize like, well, no, I care. And actually my film just did really well on Netflix. So I'm going to be that, you know, person mm-hmm. who's a bulldog and, and I'm going to show up and, and speak up. And then um, Mickey was like, Rachel, check out this podcast. And I'm listening and he, and Mickey was like, I think I met Chris once and let's, you know, mm-hmm. so we, he had, yes, we had met. Yes. And so we had this great call and it was so fascinating because right around that time. And I think it was right before it, it as just another little weird, like message from the, the universe. When I had really decided to commit myself to the project was around Halloween of last year. And, uh, and, and right at the time, I was just like, you know what, this is, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go there. I'm going to just start doing all the research and dive into this and figure this out. And Mickey said, you know, it's so weird that you called me today with that. Cause I had called him. I was like, I, I, I want to, I want to do the Billy London documentary. I want to make this. He's like, it's weird that you say this because today is mm-hmm. the 30th anniversary. Yeah. We had the same experience of reaching out to people and having them say to us, do you, you know, it's the 30th anniversary, right? You know? Wow. Yeah. So yeah. it's so weird. Cause that, that was one of those things where I was like, okay. And you know, I'll tell you this, this is very strange, but throughout the making of circus of books, I kept having things weirdly happen. And I, I finally just said, fuck it. I am going to just say this because it feels like it's true. I think that there are gay angels circling over this movie <laughs> because like mm-hmm. when Ryan Murphy showed up, it was like, what? I didn't know there was mm-hmm. a, a gay man in Hollywood that was that powerful who could do all this stuff and like care about this film. And, and it was not the case 10, 15 years ago that anybody wanted these stories. So I, I just had this feeling and I, I, I know it sounds really, you know, hokey, but, and weird. And, but like, I mean, I, it's just so strange that I, I guess I had this feeling in my making of the film that the reason mm-hmm. I made it was to give voice to all these guys that I, I just feel their presence on some level, you know, in the, in the world that I grew up in. And they, these are guys mm-hmm. who were all Billy Newtons. They were so, amazing and so young and they their life was just stolen from them and no absolutely and i think that's something we've run up against in our own feelings about the case even though billy is not technically an aids death there is no way that the investigation into his murder did not exist in this dark cloud of this horrible epidemic and and it was just happening in a climate of mistrust between police and the gay community and you can just sort of see that everywhere so bearing all that in mind what what can you talk about with us in terms of your conception of how you're going to look at this case where are you with it you know like what 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 do you see as your project and you have to share your jeffrey dahmer connection as well that's that was also a part of like oh my god that was just i hit the floor anyway it's your story to tell well which one now that you say that i'm like there's a couple but um no so so it's so interesting because uh well well like i actually genuinely don't remember which one i mentioned to you but but one of my parents employees uh was one of the films that escaped one of jeff and, and um and uh you know let me see if i can remember his name right now but he uh yeah he 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 had told me you said his he escaped yeah meaning he he wanted to uh he was in wisconsin 
met him at a bar, Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is before he came to LA and said he had met Jeffrey Dahmer and Jeffrey Dahmer wanted to take him home and was going to take him home. And as he, you know, was thinking about it and the night was progressing, he just decided he got a really, really bad feeling. Something told him no, and he didn't Mm -hmm. go home. Um, and he definitely could have been a victim. And, um, and so that was one of my parents' employees. Wow. And then it was sort of funny, you know, talking to my mom, you'll see she, just the casual things that she'll say are pretty, you know, She's pretty much make them, yeah. <laughs> give it all its comic value. But when I was asking my parents about um, Dahmer in particular, my mom just flat out said, well, you know, if he was in LA, he, he 100% came into our store. There's just no there's no way he didn't come into our store. Right. <laughs> and right. I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh, well, right. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But then I was talking to Mickey again, who is, you know, sort of like the gay porn chronicler historian. Right, the raconteur. Yes. And Mickey was like, you know, not only was there sort of the Jeffrey Dahmers of the scene, there were also the Andrew Cunanans. And the police would regularly sort of come around to our parties and just sort of film and, and document who was there because there were other horrific, scary people. You know, Jeffrey Dahmer is is one. For, I mean, he's the ultimate. But it was a time when, because, of course, this community wasn't eager to ever go to the cops and the cops mm-hmm. really, you know, it was, there was that exactly what you just said, Chris, like right, there's right. a total disconnect between law enforcement and a, a community that was, you know, tied into some pretty in, intense illegal activity. You could say like drugs yeah. party, and criminal stuff was happening. And so it could easily go unchecked, you know, really, really scary people who want to do something could just sort of have a field day. And if this yep. was, and if you were looking for, if this was their victim base of choice, you could hardly find a better gathering spot. Absolutely. Going to the bars themselves to be able I, to encounter their own target market. If you and I, and I, I think something that circus of books makes clear, and this is, you know, older people lecturing the younger generation, most porn was illegal during this time, during this period. And that's something that your parents dealt with at the store. So when you're talking about mistrust of the police, you have to realize that the thing that most people can download easily without consequence today, unless this new law in Utah passes or whatever, um, was illegal. So that was the that was the exile outlaw state that most gay people lived in. And I did, in researching the background on the Ron Wheeler story, someone who asked to stay off the record said, somebody was out there. We knew somebody was out there. Escorts were going missing. Boys would go missing. You know, now, the yeah, in L.A., and this was someone who lived in L.A. at the time, who lived in West Hollywood at the time, and he said somebody was out there. And there was that sense that you just described, that whoever it was could operate in the shadows largely with impunity because there was this information void, you know? And I think that's something that the cops have said to us. It's like, we investigate as long as people will talk to us, and then when people stop talking— we don't have anything to investigate. We're not wizards, you know, ultimately. Um, but the thing that um, I think haunts us, right, is even if it's not Dahmer, even if Ron Wheeler's to be believed and he saw somebody who just looked like Dahmer, um, is what we saw with Billy's case, these remains of a body that were found in a dumpster, just a peek into something larger. I think that's what really scares me. Like, this is the one time the killer did not efficiently dispose of his victims or her victims. That's scarier you know. to me than the Dahmer yeah. rumor, honestly. Right. If there's, because if it's still out there and never apprehended and 
you know, how many other dumpsters went unchecked. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or maybe exactly. Or maybe he found it. Yeah, right. Exactly. He, he found an, uh, he, he managed to dispose of the bodies, uh, properly and quickly in a way that he could totally get away with. Right. Just didn't get caught. That is the real fear. And you know, um, I would love to be sharing all of our materials on this because I had, um, it's so funny <laughs> listening to your podcast. Oftentimes you've been like one step ahead of me on these. Events. I'm like, Oh my God, he got my, Mike Burcham. I've been trying to get Mike Burcham. I have my, you know, <laughs> I search right. engines and then, but I right. made, I made contact with, uh, with Mike uh, as well. And one of the things that he had said was that it, the killer really could be out there. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's really actually not, uh, at all far from reality it was sadly and he you know this guy he worked in homicide for 30 years he's like i have seen it rachel and what he said to me that i thought was kind of strange so so i have more connections to the story as well which is that um mm. one of the things when i when i realized man billy london he not only was it you know a gay a young gay man that got dismembered he was in porn Mm-hmm. in gay porn my parents would have known some of the people right. they were distributors right so the first if you hit it on the head the very first thing i decided to do was ask freddie who's in circus of books he ran video 10 my parents distribution company since 1986 uh you know hey can i get a copy of the spreadsheet of all the videos um, you know, and it sort of humorously is in the film. There's one moment where my mom and I had to see all the great titles and she's like, yeah, those videos sent you to college. Well, I actually wanted to look I at love the spreadsheet. That. <laughs> so let's look at those videos. So I look at the spreadsheet and I do just immediately do a, you know, search find and these go back to like 1986. This is like VHS gold, you know, I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a gay heiress. I have access to the gold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm digging, um, I'm like, wow, okay, London. I see Bill E. London on mm-hmm. column D in the spreadsheet right there, 1989. The video is called Dream Men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As, you know, we, we like to be very clever with our titles. Right. Um, so Dream Men, 1989. And I called Freddie and I said, wow, okay, what was column D? And he said, column D is for directors. So I'm like, mm. wow. Billy directed a movie that my parents distributed in 1989. So I'm looking at this video and I'm thinking he died the following year, but the video that he was making the night before he went to rage, who was in that? Who's the cast of it? Who are the directors? Who are all the people connected to those videos? Could a gay porn title hold some of the clues to this mystery? So one of the other people on the uh, on that list was uh, David Ray. That was his mm-hmm. boyfriend. And mm-hmm. when I do a little more research, I discover that he worked for my parents mm. years later. And I call my parents and I'm saying, wow, did you know anything about this guy? And there's, there's now a tie between that production company that connected mm-hmm. to Billy London's last movie, and the fact that they were boyfriends. So mm-hmm. anyways, I'm giving, I'm feeding out little puzzle pieces because I'm mm-hmm. still things out myself. It's a puzzle. Yeah, it's a puzzle. So and I, I think we have an episode, one of those, I think it's 63, where we, we were able to piece together some of his final movements over that weekend. And he was making two porn films almost simultaneously. And I think our purpose for doing that was we wanted to substantiate 
Ron Wheeler's timeline, that, that there wasn't going to be another evening of that weekend where Billy could have been hanging out at happy hour, where he left with a guy who looked like Jeffrey Dahmer, but it wasn't the last night he was seen alive. And what we discovered is that Ron's timeline fits with the with what we know to be true about his last movements during right. his last weekend. Well, and th- that is amazing research you guys did. And the but the one of the other ama- really 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 key players now to to also add to the puzzle is Mickey Ski, who Mickey mm-hmm. was hanging out with Billy that weekend as well. And Oh wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was really crazy. He was telling me about this. Oh my God. So many things. Again, I keep going back to my gay angels who circle over me and it's so weird mm-hmm. because I finally put together a sizzle and I've been working on it. And I'm like, oh my God, I got the sizzle together. And my editor who I love lives on Fuller. And I'm like, okay, here's all the footage. Da 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 da. And this is uh the apartment where Mickey where where Billy had his cup of coffee that Mickey had told me you know I remember making him a cup of coffee at my uh friend's house on Fuller and I'm just talking to my Mm. editor I'm working with and he's like I live directly next door to that house that was the last place Billy was seen and and so it's so weird to me because it's so connected to like the community I mean I live to I live very close to all this as well and so I'm just like, it feels so local. I mean, I know I'm kind of going all over the place, but one of the things that I keep coming back to with the Billy London, Billy Newton story is how how kind of personal it feels to me and in some creepy, weird way that I just keep getting closer and closer to. And I was saying um, about Mike Bertram. So I had this call with him and, and to, to your point, Chris, you know, when he was saying, Rachel, this could be a killer out there. I'm telling you, because mm-hmm. if he was out there, He'd be like 65, 70 now, maybe. And and I've seen it before. There's a chance that, look, we have the Golden State Killer. These mm-hmm. guys can really operate and, and disappear and they play games. And it's it's a possibility. And um, and I told him about some of my connections. And he said he said to me, he's like, well, this is why I think you really need to do this documentary. You have mm-hmm. a connection to this story. You you some of the people that you know and that your parents mm-hmm. knew the gay porn world is actually a very small, I mean, the gay community in LA is small. The, the gay community mm-hmm. in West Hollywood is even smaller. The gay community in the gay porn community and with Shishi LaRue, who's a very dear friend, Shishi took over Circus of Books and Billy London was in one of Shishi's videos. And I called, mm-hmm. Shishi, talked about it. And, you know, there was sort of this whole community, the gay porn community that surrounded Billy London that I just feel kind of woven into now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Degrees of separate, one degree of separation. Yeah. 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 And I think what really got us talking about it was we watched the HBO documentary series, all be gone in the dark at Eric's recommendation, which is about Michelle McNamara's the writer's hunt for the golden state killer. She tragically passed away because of addiction issues before he was arrested. And it's a very moving story on that level as well. But, um, just seeing her tenacity and her her dedication to her obsession, I was sitting there and thinking, her obsession, yes, yeah, why not us? Like instead of sitting here worrying that nobody else is talking about Billy, start talking about Billy. Like what's to stop us? But you have those hangups. Like, am, are are we the right people for the story and whatever? Like we didn't have all the connections that you have to this, but it's like, but but it it, it was like, be the change you want to see in the world. You don't often hear that 
in relation to gay porn, but it's true in this story. Be the change you want to be. Because this was a member of the community who was brutally murdered and has never gotten justice, and that's really where it lands for us way more than the end. Just like with you, like, these were your friends. These were the people you hung out with. These were your parents' business associates. This was part of your community and extended work family more than it was the gay porn world. I mean, that incidentally was the true, but it's sort of what... The, your your first documentary kind of brings to light was that, you know, your parents were these sort of very average kind of ordinary parents who just happened. This was what they did at work. I one this at was one a point job. We were it talking about in the in the, they said most kids don't go with their parents to work or know much about what goes mm-hmm. on at the office, which is true. I never went with right. my parents to work. I. I had a sense of what they did, but why would you be more? So it really was a part of your community and your family and your parents' work relationships. Right. Well, and I, you know, I, I actually feel so, um, God, I, what's the word? I, I'm really grateful that you guys give a damn about Billy because truthfully, you know, I do have to say the stigma of porn mm-hmm. So large over people to this day. And my partner is a, a gay porn star. His name, well, he's mm-hmm. a transsexual porn star. Buck Angel is my partner. Mm-hmm. And I just see it like there's no getting away from having done porn. But he's actually someone who's proud of the porn he did. He's like, actually, mm-hmm. I love it. I changed the world with my my movies. And um, mm-hmm. I feel that way. I will say this. I, I, I Maybe I'm the one world's biggest advocate for gay porn, but I actually have to say the reason is I talked to so many guys and, and I will say really men specifically, I, I did not communicate outside of the gay male world when I was making my film. It, it was not there for them. It was not you could not. And I'm, I'm saying it to you guys is like, wow, here, you know, I'm not sharing any truth that you don't know, but like yeah. to the wider people listening when you don't see any examples in the universe of just mm-hmm. media that like two guys can be together on any level kissing you know holding hands even and that there's an okayness to it and then you walk yeah. out a store and you see guys like fully doing it like it's amazing and so people i have one the last day that circus books closed i was you know filming and filming and filming and the guy who was sort of my most you know, you have to kill your darlings when you're making a movie, but I couldn't get this into the film. It was a guy who was a Vietnam vet and he just walked mm-hmm. into the floor with a cane, had his USS, you know, Marine Corps hat on from the Vietnam War and he just burst into tears. And I'm like, wow. And he, and he, my mom was standing there, you know, with her typical, like, okay, what do you want? Hi, we're having a sale. It's our last day. <laughs> and he's <just> like, <laughs> He's being, you know, very irreverent. And he said, you know, I came here to pay my respects. And he's, you know, I'm like, mom, this guy's in the military, like chill for a second, you know, mm-hmm. And um, she just, she just stood there and he, and, and he was crying and crying and crying. And you think, okay, for the world out there that doesn't realize why would a porn store make a, you know, a, a, a guy like this cry? He said, I came here at the end of the seventies and I just had nowhere to go. Someone told me I could come to this store and this is the only place I really had like the happiest memory of my whole life. And I would come here a lot. And he said to my mom, he's like, just thank you. I just have to thank you for keeping this store going. And you know, those are the kinds of things that people don't realize what gay porn meant and it was it's about representation it is absolutely, absolutely about representation this year 2021 on valentine's day there was no gay romance movie premiering anywhere 
Like mm-hmm. the the one that premiered last year wasn't even available on broadcast or streaming um, to watch. So the representation is still not there. Even right. as advanced and as far along we are, there is very little in the way of representation of gay. So, yeah, you're right. It is gay porn was a way of representation for people to be able to see themselves in right. any way portrayed romantically or sexually or anything else other than as background players or punchlines in or tragic victims that was the problem too when i first came out if i wanted to see gay men who were not going to lose their minds die horribly or wither away or commit right suicide i had to go to porn that was where the i didn't mind to be frank because there were a lot of other benefits to watching porn as we all know but it was gay media for me it really was it was gay happily ever after you know they were in porn yeah absolutely I, I wanted to show you guys this because I have I, I have a magazine. Do you know? Do you remember Drummer Magazine? Does that ring? Oh yes, I absolutely. do. Blue Boy and Drummer and back in the olden days, yes. Totally the olden days. Well, so even before there was like VHS and video, this is this is a magazine. It's one of my favorite things ever, and it's from 1976. But this is what's so crazy. This is also where the gay community got their news, just right. actual real news. I'm gonna take a picture. <laughs> and the thing about this that I wanted to show you is that there's the article in here. It's called the S and M murder mystery. Oh my. Oh yeah. And this is 1976 and mm-hmm. I'm reading, Oh God, I'll, I'll just scan this for you. Cause I'm reading this article. Oh yes, my, please. My and look at the pictures. Oh my God. They're so gorgeous. They're so classic. I know. I really have to say like, it's that's the golden era to me. It's like the seventies. And gay, gay magazines, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, totally. So hot. So my totally. favorite. The Advocate really was largely about those. The pink pages in the back of The Advocate were the sort of meeting ground for people all over the country. Um, and it kind of, it funded that magazine. They later turned it into a, a publication called Unzipped. And they mm-hmm. hired me to write a 26-part series um, about the gay porn industry in Los Angeles, like as a fictional, like as a Tales of the City, except we mm-hmm. called it Tales of the Valley. And I had the principal character in the story lived upstairs in the tower above the the gay porn star where porn store where he worked and guess which tower i was thinking about <laughs> when i circus wrote that particular books. that particular the circus of books was this sort of amazing spanish gothic building that had this huge tile roof tower on the corner and there are in fact apartments up there i think oh my god no and in fact speaking of gay writers who lived in gary indiana what a character. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I met him in New York and I, I just, it was so funny because my other bat, my other side gig <laughs> that made no money was I, I was, I, I'm a musician and an artist. <laughs> I was on some really weird, always with the weirdos. That's my, those are my people. I was on some uh-huh. crazy, insane, like poetry night doing an art performance on a bill with Gary, Indiana. And I was like, Gary, Indiana. Wow. Hi. And he's the, he's such a character from another era. Mm-hmm. And he goes, at some point, I was like, you know, you're a legend. My parents own the Circus of Books. And he goes, I lived above that place. And the, I lived across wow. the street from the band X. And the Go-Go's formed in the store, mm-hmm. too. So the, the building itself had this lore. So you were totally right. Yeah. I, I can read your, um, stories, Eric. That's cool. What, 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 when was what? that published? 
it was the first year of um, of Unzipped magazine. So they it was published as a serial every week or in every public in every as issue. There was a new um, installment in the story of the the history of. I think the character's name was Randy. No. I think that's right. I think that's. I think his character, the character's name was Randy, but he comes to the big city and becomes a big star in the porn industry. Um, but he lives upstairs and works at the porn store um, downstairs. So I was, I was very much thinking of Circus of Books when I wrote that. His, uh, his big, um, his best friend. Yes, there we are. Tales of the Valley. Tales of the Valley. Oh my God, do you actually have the issue? You found the issue in your closet? I'm that girl with the magazine with the cup. That's so incredible. (laughs) And um, so, believe me, I have the hand jobs magazines unzipped. Um, I'm, you know. Yeah, if anybody has the collection, it's you. It's you. But I wanted to read this one thing because it's so amazing. Um, in these magazines, this is where you get some of the actual news. So about the um, the SNM murder mystery, this is what right. I think again. I, I was actually, um, oh gosh, there's so many things to say, but this one, this was a really chilling story about, like you were saying, um, you know, the fact that there could have been, you know, just guys that went missing. And I, I'm so mm-hmm. dying to know, um, Chris, who you had spoken to about this, because this is just one little thing um, that was written at the top that I thought to read. Few gay murders are solved, even when a murderer strikes again and again. Yes. Often is no satisfactory wrap-up of the case. No arrest, no trial, no conviction, and no confidence in the community that the danger has been lessened or contained. Mm-hmm. 1976 and this is an article basically telling the community watch out for a killer on the loose and like mm-hmm. and watch out for each other yeah so this is the world in which we're kind of looking at how how does it you know work that that you could have a killer on the loose that everyone's sort of aware of um anyway uh i just thought to show you that because yeah that's amazing and it's something we have to keep in mind well we we could keep you all day rachel we sort of did given our technical delays we've kind of had you at our beck and call all day and i'm sure we'll probably talk about this again um and it was great to have you and to know that you're posted on your progress with totally um the documentary on billy because you know we're all things billy we are definitely well i've already asked you guys to uh be in the movie so hopefully i can you know Oh yeah, we're (laughs) here. We we did our hair. We did our hair. Our hair's finally been cut, so we're ready when it's time. (laughs) We're ready for our close-up when you are. Yeah, once I get you know the biggest puzzle piece that comes into uh, well, actually, it's this year of COVID has helped me just do research. So there's been no Mm -hmm. interviews to be had. Um, But yeah, we'll have to share all our information, our stories, and I'll put puzzle pieces together. Uh, One final thing I will say: the detective that I was so happy to speak to was Wendy Barrent. I finally mm. tracked her down and she devoted, as you know, like 30 right. years. She really, in fact, she reinvigorated. She was the last round of trying to reinvigorate investigation in this case. Totally. totally. And so when you really think of like the commitment that people have had to the story, you know, I, I one, one of your episodes, you, you brought it up, you know, there was that, there wasn't a lack of commitment to it. It was just such a, a starting oh. point that was a that was a nightmare, you know. As, as mm-hmm. you also said, you you know you're starting from the most degraded 
place imaginable to do an, you know, a, an investigation. And now it's like a 30 year unfolding of how do we find this? Um, mm -hmm. and, and my goal with the film, I mean, I will say it flat out. My goal is to solve it. I want to, mm. you know, be like Mac McNamara. I mean, I really want to figure mm -hmm. this out with you guys, you know, helping. It's like, we, mm -hmm. are, we are that little intrepid community who cares. And at the very least, we are beget we are helping to raise awareness of this and involving the professionals in the process because that was our huge goal and our biggest success so far was getting the LAPD actually you know they called us to say yeah. well so cool congratulations on that because i mean i couldn't even believe that and then i was tracking down all the leads you guys have already been you know getting to because it was like holy crap and i spoke to john and the detective he is a great detective and i really yes yeah yeah he's the only other interview we've ever done you absolutely you you're john. the second interview and i think that's episode episode 63 is our interview with detective john lamberti who got in touch with us and he said that things are progressing with the investigation there's nothing that can be publicly discussed at this time but that things are happening as a result of our conversations and it's and it's it's moving it's moving which is great you know because that's what we all wanted. Yeah. And I mean, wow, you guys deserve like so much congratulations. Thanks. I mean, I really had this feeling at some point that like, maybe there is the spirit of Billy like out there, you know, mm -hmm. some sort of mm -hmm. energy, like bringing us all together. Because I have to say, like, to talk about justice and redemption and some possibility that, you know, a kid who was had everything ahead of him, he was good. He was actually an artist. And that's what yeah. I've learned talking to his friends yeah. and his family. I mean, he truly could have been like my friend. I feel that way about him. And so mm -hmm. I just feel like you guys were, were kind of like coming together and like doing something. And I, I, I just have that feeling that, um, Maybe he brought us together. Who knows? Well, <laughs> well fingers crossed that we fingers can help crossed. him get some justice. Yeah, absolutely. Fingers crossed. Indeed. Thank you so much, Rachel. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you for giving us your time. Of course. All right. Bye. And Bye. great to meet you. You too. <laughs> First of many meetings, I'm sure. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Well, I have to say, her energy was so inspiring. Her energy and her enthusiasm and her commitment. Right? She yeah. may just solve it. She may be yeah. the one. But at the very least, like if she can, if if there were to be a documentary on Netflix about this case like mm -hmm. think of the number of more tips that we could get or the the uh, LAPD could get think of the information the possibility of new information coming in and new interest in the case from something mm -hmm. as big as that 
Yeah, that I mean that that sort of platform, that sort of giving a voice to the voiceless or the previously voiceless. Yes. I mean, that's like I you can never say this too much, but our goal in starting this conversation was to make sure the conversation got started. You know, his Billy's loved ones were passing away of natural causes. Um, the thing that we didn't get into in the discussion with her, which I think has, we're, I'm grateful is not the case, was everybody's presumption when I first started talking to them. People who didn't know much about the case said reflexively, oh, everybody from that era is dead. You're never going to find anybody who knows anything. That has just not been true. Uh, first, and I always say this, Eric Jacquin, you lived through that era. You are alive and well I'm and healthy. I'm here. Yeah. I survived. So, yeah, I'm not alone. There's there's plenty of us. But, yeah, time is a waste it's yeah. uh, it's time for justice for for Billy and I, I really appreciated her dedication to that and I enjoyed her documentary on Circus of Books if you mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it it's on Netflix I, it's just called Circus of Books and yeah it's really it's about that bookstore but it's also about her family it is mm-hmm. I wondered as I was watching it what would happen if you uh, made a documentary about your family, you know, like if you just started filming them and interviewing them and whatever, because a lot of what she found out, she found out from making the documentary, but it was mm-hmm. like everybody's family has its own unique story and its own set of, of secrets and its own set. I, hers would be tough to top, I have to yeah. say, but mm-hmm. still it had a lot of that quality of discovering things about her family from making a documentary about them. I, I just, I loved it. I thought it was quite, it was a really, it was very unexpected because it wasn't just about the bookstore. It was more about her family yeah, and the community and her relationship to both. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, next week. So oh, thanks to Rachel. Say, Thank yes. you, Rachel. Thanks to Rachel, but also a reminder again that our previous episodes discussing the Billy Newton case are episodes 37, 48, 60, and 63. 37 is sort of when we first started to open up the conversation. We also talked about the kidnapping you'd been so obsessed with. But 48, 60, and 63, we really start sharing some new information. And the tip email address, as always, and, is William yes. Newton Invest. I saw the face in the finger. William Newton Investigation at gmail.com. That's still open. We are still reading those emails. We welcome any tips and, and recollections. What the, and what the detective from the LAPD told us was it is the outlandish out there thing that is that may be the thing that solves the case so if you know anything or you saw anything or you were here for halloween in 1990 or here being west hollywood and you think you might know something couldn't hurt couldn't Mm -mm. hurt and if you don't want your name used or whatever say so you know we or if you want if you don't mind say that too we won't use it unless you've given us permission i can we can say that for sure Um, but, but the police are interested if there is something that if you think got some information, they think that might be where the answer lies. So, uh, absolutely. Fingers crossed. Absolutely. Next week we asked, you answered. We bring you an all new episode featuring one of the Wednesday questions we post on the dinner party shows. Facebook. You're the stars. Once again, party people. And TDPS stands for The Dinner Party Show. And yes, our Facebook page is The Dinner Party Show. Um, The question we asked you was, what's the news story you'll never forget? The one that stopped you in your tracks, ensuring you'd always remember exactly where you were when you first heard it. So we'll have your answers and ours, because we always have to talk on our podcast, on the next episode. Until then, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. 
and Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.